You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Sean Mullaney, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast. As a physician, I spend much time translating medical terms for my patients. It comes second nature. The Latin word the doctor is derived from, docere, means to teach. Yet once a month, Every third Friday, while owning my own practice, I found myself totally bewildered and befuddled by my accountant as he failed to translate the foreign language of accounting and taxes. Basis, amortization, capital loss, carryover. Does it surprise you that I quickly handed all my decision-making over to the experts? The holidays are here, and we spend much time discussing year-end tax moves. But today, instead, I want to bring the conversation back to the basics and talk about the five important tax questions we should all be asking ourselves on the road to financial independence. Let's start at the beginning. After a lengthy career in public accounting, Sean Mullaney started his own firm, which offers fiduciary, fee-only, hourly, and advice-only financial planning. He has affectionately become known as the FI Financial Independence Tax Guy and blogs over at fitaxguy.com. Sean Mullaney, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Do you think we spend too much time worrying about taxes or not enough? I certainly wouldn't say we spend too much time worrying about taxes. Why worry, right? Uh, These taxes are going to come. They're going to be paid. And they absolutely can be optimized. So my first message to the audience would be, it's just taxes. Let's not worry too much about them. You know, it kind of reminds me, I feel like we focus on paying as little taxes as winning the game. And is that necessarily the case? Doc G, my approach is usually, what is it that we can do to reduce total lifetime taxation? Meaning, I'm not so interested in, oh, did I find that latest deduction or there's some little, you know, trick I can do this year. And I say trick, but a legal tactic that does reduce my taxable income. I'm all for that. But to my mind, that is not the impactful tax planning. The most impactful tax planning is tax planning that says, okay, I'm someone with a total lifetime, right? I'm going to live hopefully 80, 90, maybe even 100 years what is it that I could do today that reduces my total lifetime tax over the entirety of that lifetime? It's an important point, right? Because if you go to some of these big houses that do taxes yearly, right, and you get a new person every year, 
a lot of times they will maximize your refund for that year, but it might not be necessarily the best long-term tax planning. I agree with that, Doc G, right? You know, it, it, yes, your refund matters and everybody likes to get a little cash if they can, although you don't want to park too much money with the IRS or your state tax agency in terms of overpayments of tax. There's an issue of tactics versus strategy and tactics are great. But if you employ a lifetime tax strategy, you're much more likely to have a better outcome over the entirety of your lifetime and really get some solid tax savings. How big do you think tax abatement plays a role in your overall financial plan? I mean, when we think about personal finance and financial independence, often we talk about earning, saving, and investing. Those seem to be like the big three things to do. How important is getting your taxes right? I think it's very important. Uh, you know, Dr. G, if, if you think about if you're in a business and you have partners, right, how can you get a bigger slice of the pie, right? You can increase revenue, you can decrease expenses, or you could take from some, some of your partners. Unfortunately, all of us have at least one partner and maybe two partners, right? The IRS is a partner in all of our income. And our state taxing agency, for those of us who live in high tax states like California, are another partner in our income. And there are ways, very legitimately, to move money into accounts where, hey, I don't have a partner anymore on this income. It's 100% my income. So I do think it matters. Now, look, if you're developing the next uh, you know, fusion car and you're going to make billions of dollars, in some ways, it actually matters less in the sense that, hey, you're going to meet your financial goals no matter what, hopefully. So I, I will say, let's not overemphasize it. But for millions of Americans, margins matter. And tax, you know, if your tax rate is 24%, that's a big margin in your financial life. So absolutely, it is very impactful. Yeah. I mean, I guess the other way to turn that around is to say, look, taxes are collected for a reason, right? Our country needs a certain amount of revenue to support our social system and judicial system and our laws and our police and our firemen, et cetera. I think sometimes we get all very caught up in this idea of let's keep as much money as possible, which I think is good, but taxes have a function. Yeah, they do. And Dr. G, I really appreciate your phrasing it that way because I always think about income tax because a lot of my planning for my clients is around reducing income tax but there are plenty of taxes we all pay, right? We pay property taxes, we pay, uh, pay sales tax, payroll tax. And now there are ways, we're actually, we are actually gonna talk about some ways to reduce some of those taxes too, but it's, it is a great point that income tax is not the only tax, and it's certainly not the only tax that funds the utilities, the things that we use every day or we rely upon every day. Now, I mentioned in my intro that often I was befuddled with my accountant because I didn't necessarily always understand things. After I started learning about my own personal finances, I really took on more of a do-it-yourself type of attitude. How much of tax assessment can your average person do by themselves? Like, How much of this should we be tackling on our own versus using an expert for? Great question, Doc G. I think a lot of it can be DIY but it depends on you and your functionality. So let me give you an example, right? Maybe you're 35 years old, you're married, and you and your spouse love gardening. So you do all the gardening yourself. 
great. Maybe that same couple at age 75 hires a gardener. The garden didn't change one bit, but maybe the interests, the time, the capacity that you have for the task change. I think taxes are sort of the same way. Uh, You know, you have to assess your situation. Do I have, you know, what are the complexities in my life? And the more complexities in your financial life, the more likely it is that you should be hiring a professional for tax return preparation and or, and this is usually a separate discipline, tax planning. So some of it is, hey, you know, I just graduated college. I have a W-2 and I've got a small, you know, brokerage account, maybe a small savings account and checking account. That person probably can use a commercially prepared software in terms of doing their tax return. And from a planning perspective, if they've got their head on their shoulders and they're listening to five podcasts, they probably don't need that much planning professionally at that point. But maybe in the future, there are things like business income. There are things like inheriting uh, assets. That could be a big one. Uh, There could be things like real estate investing. And at that point, it might be, okay, it's time to get some professionals in my life. It was interesting. You mentioned the difference kind of between preparation and planning. And I almost feel like we concentrate 100% on preparation and forget the planning part. Agreed, Doc G. And I could go off for 20 minutes on this point because you got to remember, this is a problem that's created mostly by professionals. For the longest time, think about the 80s and the 90s, right? You know, it's not like you had cell phones where you could do your tax return on, right? And scan a W-2. So tax return preparation back then required even more time because you're manually doing everything. And professionals got paid for a tax return. So guess where professionals focused? On the tax return. And so there hasn't been this sort of approach of, I'm going to focus on tax planning versus tax returns because of these factors. And I think that makes it tougher for consumers today to find folks who are really dedicated to tax planning. And there are financial planners like myself who do sort of in their own financial planning practices focus a lot on tax planning. I I think the professional landscape on all this is changing. I do think that change is somewhat slow. And some of that is dictated by you have very good professionals out there who do a lot of tax return preparation. And that's sort of been their focus. It doesn't make them bad professionals, but it makes them very oriented around tax returns and less so around tax planning. That said, there are tax return preparers who do focus on planning as well. So it's not the easiest thing to navigate, but I think the first step is just recognizing that tax planning is a very different discipline than tax return preparation. I feel like our government has set us up for having this problem a little bit. I mean, aren't there some countries that they actually just tell you how much tax you owe as opposed to the United States where they say, here's this inane grouping of rules you figure out how much tax you owe and send it to us. And by the way, if you get it wrong, we might audit you and, and make your life painful. I very much agree with that. You know, you have to think about all the different account types that are out there, right? I spend a lot of my time on my blog, blogging around retirement accounts. And, you know, I, I like following these rules and they're arcane and whatnot. But you, you have in the United States this sort of unique mix of, okay, we're going to tax income, and then we're going to create these sort of fictional type of accounts that have different tax treatment, and we'll have many different versions of those. And oh, by the way, we're going to add states with their own rules. Some states almost perfectly mirror the federal government. 
other states like my home state of California take maybe half the federal government rules and then have half of their own rules. And so it gets very complicated very quick. And my understanding is that, yes, there are some countries that basically send you like a mock of your tax return and you could sort of propose edits and futz around with it and then uh, file your tax return. It's interesting. There are plenty of Americans in today's world. That's basically what happens through 1099 reporting, right? If you're taking the standard deduction, say you're retired, you're on Social Security, you've got required minimum distributions from retirement accounts, you've got some interest in dividends, maybe a little capital gains, you're at large financial institutions for all that, and, and you take the standard deduction, basically your tax return is inputting 1099s into computer software and reviewing it and signing it and submitting it. That's what it is. That said, that's a, you know, I just gave you one very specific profile. Many people don't have that profile and then they have to do their own tax return and there's play in the joints and there's real, uh, you know, there's a real ability there, unfortunately, to make a, a very good faith mistake or omission. I think that's a perfect time for us to move away from tax preparation, which I think at this juncture is not really our point and focus more on tax planning. You say there are five tax questions on the road to financial independence that we should all ask ourselves. Let's start with the first, which I think is arguably most important. You ask, what is my tax mentality? What do you mean by that? Yeah. So taxes elicit sort of a visceral reaction from many folks, right? For some folks, they hear taxes or tax planning or tax returns. I think you know, they get confused. They get annoyed at having to prepare their tax return. They're fearful of taxes. They're frustrated by their taxes. And I think in the financial independence community, one of the things we're trying to do is just op- optimize, right? We're trying to optimize. We're trying to sort through the sand to find little nuggets of opportunity. And, and that's my answer to that question, right? Is that I recommend folks look at taxes and say, hey, there's an opportunity there. Meaning these taxes are due, somebody's paying them, but you have opportunities to reduce what you're going to pay. And so I think if you, if you sort of flip the coin on its head and you say, look, yeah, is this fun? No. Is this you know, a little frustrating? Sure. But there's opportunities here, right? I might be able to save some tax money over my lifetime if I do a little planning and have a little intention around my taxes. So why not say, all right, some people see a problem. I see an opportunity. Do you think it's just because the system is so complicated that it's hard to see it in kind of those positive, optimistic light? Yeah, but I think that's true of everything in financial independence. I mean, think about the different areas of your financial life. What financial independence does is it says, okay, we fully acknowledge there's confusion out here, but we're going to find ways to optimize. And I I think that's true in every discipline that is discussed by the financial independence community. Doesn't mean there aren't roles for professionals at times. Doesn't mean there aren't complexities. But I think a lot of what, you know, the FI movement sort of does is says, okay, this is a little interesting. You know, this might be a little challenging, but is there an opportunity to optimize? And I think taxes in that regard is no different. Now, yes, the codes on taxes are probably a little thicker than they might be in some other areas of your financial life. But yeah, absolutely. I think it's just, yeah, it's confusing, but other things have been figured out, right? Somebody figured out the double helix of DNA. Somebody could figure out to tax optimize. Yeah. 
So dealing with your clients, how hard is it for them to make that transition from kind of fear and anxiety to feeling like there's an opportunity? Do most people make that mental jump? I don't know that most people make that mental jump. I think in my client base, a lot of folks do. Um, and I think that part of it is because of all the contributions out there in the FI space. There are a lot of people speaking up about, hey, this is what I do. And hey, I'm a blogger and this is my path to financial independence. It doesn't mean any one person has all the right answers, but I think there's a lot more discussion of these topics than there was, say, 10 years ago. Right, 10 years ago, you had to go to find a major media source and there was good information out there. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't on the level of, hey, I'm orienting my financial life in such a way that it supports the rest of my life. Now let's drill in to taxes. So I think that shift is happening, Doc G. It may be somewhat slow, but you know, as as another podcaster often says, the fire is spreading. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> yes. I like this idea of looking at it as an opportunity too, because I really believe it gives you a chance to take your whole financial plan and put it under that lens of tax planning, but it forces you to really think about, okay, how long do I want to work? What do I think is going to be the trajectory of my income? When do I think I'm going to retire? What is going to fund me through retirement? I mean, all those things really you can start to think about through that tax lens and it gives you kind of an early start at your long-term planning. Absolutely. Everything, to my mind, everything has a bit of a tax angle to it. You and I were recently at the Economy Conference in Cincinnati. That's a personal finance conference. And every topic folks talked about had a tax angle to it. Every time we think about, hey, there's something in my life, you might want to think, hey, wait a minute, maybe there's a little bit of a tax angle, and maybe it's a very small tax angle, but absolutely, there are tax angles all over the place if you look for them. So you say there's a tax angle to most everything we do financially, which brings us to the second big question. You state, should my home be a way station for stuff on the way to a landfill? That is the second big question on your way to planning for financial independence. What exactly does that have to do with tax planning? Yeah. So I recently had an insight around, just think about all the stuff in your home. Think about the stuff in, even in your office, right? All that stuff is on its journey and its final destination is the landfill. Everything we buy, our desks, our chairs, our tables, Every, you know, every jar, every bottle is ultimately pretty much going to the landfill with very few exceptions. So to my mind, it's like, well, wait a minute, why are we buying all this stuff? Why are we giving it a temporary home if it's all going to the landfill anyway? Right. That's a first argument against buying stuff. By the way, there's good justification for some stuff to have a stop on its waste on its home to the landfill. Right. You need a table to eat your meals. Maybe you have a business and that business has a cash register and those sorts of things. There's legitimate reasons to have stuff before it goes to the landfill. But that said, all that stuff has a tax cost. And here's what I mean by that. Pretty much in order to get that stuff, you got to go work. W-2, self-employment, unless you're a trust fund kid, pretty much to get stuff you got to go work to you know earn income and then take that income and go buy the stuff. 
All right. And like I said, a lot of that stuff is just going to the landfill anyway. So why are you doing that? Handful of exceptions. But for the most part, you ought to think twice before buying all that stuff. But here's the thing. How much stuff do you want? If you decide I'm single, I just want $50,000 worth of stuff a year. Okay. You got to go work to earn the $50,000 to buy the stuff. Well, they don't just give you 50,000 and then you go buy 50,000 worth of stuff. They give you more than 50,000 because you got to go pay tax on it. But we have progressive taxes. So if you can keep your income low, you pay less tax. So if you buy less stuff, you pay less tax. And I gave an example of a single person who wants 50,000 of consumption versus a single person who wants 100,000 of consumption. And it turns out the tax rate, roughly speaking, is dramatically different. I estimate very roughly that if you live in California, you're single, if you want to consume $100,000 a year, you actually have to earn something like $150,000 a year, and your effective tax rate is something like 33%. You want to consume only $50,000 a year, so half that? You only have to earn a little more than $64,000 a year, and your effective tax rate goes down to 22%, right? So the more stuff we want, the more taxes we're going to have to pay. And this also applies, Doc G, to all those payroll taxes, property taxes, sales taxes. All The more stuff we want, the more we're going to pay all those taxes too. So the FI community has a, sort of a leg up in tax planning. If we can reduce our consumption, we can reduce our taxes. That's a neat little trick that the FI community, without even trying to tax optimize, has backdoored into. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. And this is the first time I've heard you say it that way. But now I realize it's a concept I've heard before because years ago, I forget which book I was reading, but it really made a point of the fact of if you need $100 and you save $100, it's much more efficient than going out and earning $100, right? Because if you save $100 by not spending it, you get to keep that whole $100. Yet if you want to have $100 by earning, you have to actually earn $120 or $130 or $140, depending on the tax bracket. I didn't connect those two sayings together until I just heard you describe it there. But it is true. It's much easier to consume less, at least from a tax perspective, than to make more. Absolutely. And you also bring up a great point too, Doc G. Investment income tends to be much less taxed than W-2 income or self-employment income. Right. So that's an argument for hey, if I make money, I ought to put that in investment accounts, whether that's taxable brokerage accounts, even traditional retirement accounts, Roth accounts, all of those things enjoy significant tax advantages versus W 2 work, which is instant ordinary income. There's no timing election on that. Right. The second you get the cash, it's just taxable to you and it's subject to payroll taxes. Yeah, I think the FI community, without even trying to tax optimize, is on its way to tax optimization simply by reducing consumption. We are talking to Sean Mullaney, the FI tax guy, about the five questions you should ask yourself on the road to financial independence. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. 
Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to remind you of a few ways that you can connect with me, Jordan Grummet, aka Doc G. Besides listening to the podcast, there is our Facebook group. That is at EarnAndInvest.com slash Facebook. Again, EarnAndInvest.com slash Facebook. The group is growing, and we discuss everything from our podcast episodes there to what's happening in the world, the politics, economics, you name it. Another great way to interact with me is at earnandinvest.com. That is the website for the podcast. There you can find videos, blog posts, as well as each and every podcast episode goes up on that page. And finally, coming soon, jordangrummet.com. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-G-R-U-M-E-T. That is going to be my hub, the landing place to learn about everything podcasting, medical blogging, as well as my new book, Taking Stock, which is going to come out in August of 2022. Right now, the website is pointed to my old medical blog, but eventually I'm working on a brand new website that pulls all the strings together. So check that out at jordangrummet.com. Otherwise, I will see you in the Facebook group. And thanks for listening to the show. We are speaking to Sean Mullaney, who started his own firm, which offers fiduciary, fee-only, hourly, and advice-only financial planning. He is affectionately known as the Phi Tax Guy. Sean, we are talking about the big questions we should ask ourselves on our path to financial independence. We covered question one, which is, what tax mentality do you have? We talked a little bit about question two about should your home be a way station for stuff on the way to the landfill? Let's move on to question three. Am I grabbing the low hanging fruit? I think this is really important. What is the low hanging fruit when it comes to taxes and our finances? Doc G, I've identified four things I believe are the low hanging fruit of FI tax planning. The first one is contributing to your workplace 401k or 403b enough to secure the entire employer match. That's not only good tax advice, it's actually good investment advice. Meaning if your employer provides a match in your workplace retirement plan, that's an instantaneous return on the dollars you put in that 401k or that 403b. So, you know, let's just say there's a, you make uh, up to a 6% contribution and they match, say, 50% on the dollar. So if I make $100,000, I put $6,000 in, the employer would put $3,000 in. So now I've got $9,000 in that 401k, and the $6,000 I invested 
earned an instantaneous 50% return. That's as good as it gets from an investment perspective, right? An instantaneous 50% return. Different employers, of course, vary, but that's the first piece of low-hanging fruit, getting the employer match in your 401k plan. And I want to interrupt you for a second. I'll have everybody notice what you didn't say is necessarily deferring tax by putting it into your 401k or 403b. And I think it's an important distinction. A lot of people out there who don't understand our tax system feel like you put your money there and you never pay taxes on it, which is totally far from the truth. You are deferring taxes, which may be a very good move for you, depending on who you are and what the future holds. But no one can argue with the fact that that match, that free money is such low hanging fruit that pretty much it's good for everybody. Agreed. So we talked about the 401k, 403b and the match. What are some other sources of low hanging fruit? Second source is a Roth IRA. Um, In the FI community, the Roth IRA gets a lot of press and I think deservedly so. There are regular annual contributions to a Roth IRA. It's limited to $6,000 per person. 7,000 if you're age 50 or older. Uh, That could be a regular Roth IRA contribution if your income is within the published limits that the IRS provides. If your income is not within those published limits, there's a well-discussed strategy uh, referred to as a backdoor Roth IRA that you very well may want to consider. It's not for everyone, right? Depending on your profile, meaning do you have other traditional IRAs or things like that, then that may not be the best idea but I certainly think the Roth IRA is, is one to strongly consider. And the Roth IRA, the big advantage is tax-free growth, right? There's no tax deduction on the way in, but this isn't about getting a tax deduction. It's about reducing my total lifetime tax. And the way I'm doing it here is I'm moving money from accounts that are subject to tax every year to accounts that are never taxed. Roth IRA deployed the right way is never subject to income tax. That's a big one. The third low-hanging piece of fruit is a health savings account. And the health savings account combines the best of a traditional retirement account, so a deductible contribution, with the best of a Roth IRA, which is tax-free growth. So for those who have a high deductible health plan as their medical insurance, can take advantage of this health savings account where they can put money in, get a tax deduction, And then if the money is used for qualified medical expenses or to reimburse you for previous qualified medical expenses, it's tax-free. So this is deductible on the way in, tax-free on the way out. It's the best of both worlds. Again, this isn't for everyone, but if you have a high deductible health plan, this is some real low-hanging fruit because it's usually easy to make these contributions through payroll withholding. Employers oftentimes will put a little employer contribution in there. So that's some tax-free money that can grow tax-free. That could be very impactful as well. And then the fourth piece of low-hanging fruit is simply just save, save, save. I don't care from a low-hanging fruit perspective. Is that a traditional account, Roth account, taxable account? But like we already said, Savings and investments tend to attract much less, in, much less tax than most things in our life, particularly working. So if you just save, you're probably going to be at least somewhat tax optimized, maybe not fully tax optimized, but you're at least going to be doing some things that give you some tax benefits. And I wanted to mention, as you brought up the HSA, the cool thing about the HSA is if you use it for healthcare costs, Usually, you don't have to pay any taxes for it at all. 
I know a lot of people get caught up on that because they want to use the money in the HSA to invest. And so they save all the receipts for years so that they can reimburse themselves. Notably, there's a lot easier way to do it. Most of us, once we hit a certain age, are going to have a huge amount of healthcare costs just by nature. So even if you don't save those receipts, but you end up accumulating fifty dollars or $100,000 in HSA, it's pretty likely that you'll find ways to use that uh, if you live to a nice old age. Absolutely, Doc G. And a lot of the Medicare premiums are a qualified expense for this purpose. So you get to age 65, you're going to have some Medicare premiums. At a minimum, you could just use your HSA to pay those premiums. Or the other thing too, Doc G, is hopefully some of us are going to be here till 90 or 100. So maybe at age 66, 67, 68, 70, 71, 72, maybe you pay your Medicare premiums out of pocket and say, look, I'm going to be around for a while. I got 20 more years of compounding tax-free growth. I'll save my receipts for my Medicare premiums, or I have some big surgery at age 70 or whatever it is, and I'll save those receipts. And then in my 80s, I'll reimburse myself, right? Now that you have to think about how long is it that I'm going to live? But at the same time, yeah, the the later reimbursement strategy from an HSA is very powerful. And like you're saying, Doc G., there are going to be very few of us that don't have significant medical expenses at some point. So it's always going to be on the table for most of us in the audience. Just wondering what happens estate planning wise if you die with a large HSA? Love that question, right? So HSA is a great asset to leave to your spouse. So if you die and you have an HSA, it's in your name, you can leave it to your spouse and it just becomes their HSA. Great. Well, what if you are single at the time of your death? Then you want to be a little more intentional because everyone who's not a spouse pays tax on an inherited HSA. It's actually the worst asset to inherit. It's immediate taxable income in the year of your death. What you could do, though, especially for those with sizable HSA balances, and that now exists in the world because HSAs have been around for a long enough time, you might want to talk to your HSA provider and say, hey, is there a way I could designate a charity as the beneficiary of my HSA? Because here's the thing. A charity does not care about paying tax. They don't pay tax. So they could inherit your HSA upon your death and be very glad to receive that money. They don't pay tax, right? So if you had a $100,000 HSA and a $100,000 taxable brokerage, and you wanted to leave half to your son and half to a charity, pick the HSA to leave to the charity. It's not taxable to them. Pick the brokerage account to leave to your son. Your son does not pay tax on inheriting a brokerage account. And oh, by the way, your son gets a basis step up at death. We talk about this sometimes. They call it the basis step up at death. It's the great tax planning tool. Unfortunately, it's for the next generation, not for you. So it's of somewhat limited value, but for the next generation, it's awesome. Um, so yeah, HSAs have this sort of really interesting little estate planning wrinkle where always great for a spouse. But if you're not married, you might want to think about leaving it to a charity. Talking about the HSAs and thinking about squirreling all the way, all those receipts and driving ourselves crazy with it reminds me actually of your question for, I always like to state it as letting the tax tail wag the money dog. But in your case, you ask a question, am I gilding the lily? What does that mean? Yeah. So according to Miriam Webster, Guild, to gild the lily means to add unnecessary ornamentation to something beautiful in its own right. 
I'll say that again. Gilding the lily is adding unnecessary or ornamentation to something beautiful in its own right. And the concept is, if you think about the lily, the lily is a beautiful flower. You don't need to enhance it. You don't need to pretty it up. You don't need to put makeup on that thing. It's just beautiful in its own right. And I think there's plenty of tax planning techniques that are absolutely beautiful in their own right. And they're, they're just good enough as they are. Don't overthink it. I think that would be the big thing is, are you overthinking things? One example I think of is putting the fancy assets into a retirement account. Things like crypto, things like real estate. If you think about a retirement account, it's beautiful in its own right. A traditional IRA, a Roth IRA. You have this whole universe of stocks, bonds, ETFs, mutual funds, index funds that you can invest a Roth IRA, traditional IRA at a low cost. To my mind, that's the lily of personal finance, right? I get tax benefits. I get low-cost investing. I get diversification. I get whatever it is I want in my investing life right there in a low-cost Roth IRA or traditional IRA. Other asset classes have different roles for different people, right? We're not here to give personal investment advice. We're not here to go say, go invest in that asset class or that asset or another asset class. But we are here to say, you know, sometimes folks will say, oh, if I put my rental real estate in an IRA, I'm going to get all these additional advantages. To my mind, that's like starting to gild the lily a bit. Rental real estate actually performs really well as a tax asset because of depreciation. Why are we taking an asset that gets depreciation anyway and throwing it into a traditional IRA that itself could hold low cost investments? That it looks like adding ornamentation to things that are sort of beautiful in their own right. So I would say if you have a tax tactic and you think, wait a minute, I'm starting to overthink this a little bit. Maybe you are. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and I think it always is, is with taxes to realize that we need to optimize, but it shouldn't necessarily drive us crazy. It shouldn't be our only consideration. And uh, I agree with you 100%, especially on real estate. Real estate is beautiful enough as it is. Uh, sometimes we can take it too far. And lastly, we are talking about the five questions everyone should ask themselves on their path to financial independence. You focus on withdrawal strategies. I feel like that's something we don't think enough about. Like we get stuck on this idea of accumulating and we forget that decumulation can be a little bit complicated and have a profound difference in how well our money does in the future. Part of this goes back to that first question, your tax mentality, opportunities, right? So if you're an early retiree out there or you're thinking about becoming an early retiree, Every year in early retirement is another opportunity. And so what do I mean by that? Just picture your financial life for a second when you get to that early retirement. Okay, you're not working anymore. No self-employment income or very little. Same thing, W-2, no income, very little income. When you start preparing your tax return, you look artificially poor, right? Because there's no income coming in from work. And even today, you know, inflation's starting to go up, so this could change a little bit. But we're in a low yield world, which is a fancy way of saying you don't get much interest and you don't get much dividends. So even if you have sizable balances in your savings account, in your taxable brokerage account, the interest and dividends aren't a lot of taxable income. So we're adding up the register of all our income, according to the IRS, 
And wait a minute, the IRS thinks we're poor. We just don't have a lot of income. So that means we have a tax planning opportunity. Why not start showing some income when the IRS thinks we're poor? Why not do things like Roth conversions when we don't have other taxable income? So, you know, income is taxed at progressive rates in the United States. And truth be told, the first rate is 0% because of something called the standard deduction. Everyone today gets a standard deduction. It's over $12,000 if you're single, over $25,000 if you're married. Why not at a minimum take some old traditional IRAs and 401ks and convert them to Roths at a time where your taxable income otherwise doesn't add up to your standard deduction? And then you might want to think about, well, wait a minute, I can fill up the standard deduction, but the next tax bracket's only 10%. And the tax bracket after that's only 12%. Maybe I want to fill those up too when I only pay 10% or 12% of that money, uh, of tax on that money. Then I never pay taxes on that again. You've done two things, right? One, you've locked in a low tax rate. And two, your audience is probably familiar, Doc G, with a dreaded term called a required minimum distribution or an RMD. And these are required distributions out of your retirement accounts once you get to age 72. At age 72, they're usually not that bad. But when you get to age 80, age 90, they progressively increase as you age. So what's going to happen is those old big traditional 401ks and IRAs are going to start coming out and they're going to fill up tax brackets beyond 10%, 12%, 22%, 24%. And so it's electing to pay the tax in early retirement as opposed to paying the tax when you're much older and maybe subject to a much higher tax rate. The point here is you got to be thinking about distribution strategies if you, if you are early retired because it's a big opportunity and that opportunity expires every December 31st. Doesn't mean next year you don't have that opportunity, but this year's opportunity is good until December 31st, then that coupon expires. And same thing with next year, right? So my big point here is you want to be thinking about your distribution strategy in retirement, and you just don't want to let the year pass without at least considering, hey, should I be doing some things to accelerate some income? You mentioned December 31st, and up to this point, we've been avoiding that big elephant in the room, which is end-of-year tax planning. But I want to get in depth about it, but how early in the year should you start thinking about tax planning? A lot of people let it go, let it go, let it go, and then it hits November, December, and yep. they're kind of scurrying to make decisions. So to my mind, a couple of thoughts. One is you want to have an overall game plan just for your finances, right? So the tax components should tie back to that overall game plan. And that should dictate some of the tactics. And when you think about them, I think if you're, say, self-employed, you want to be thinking about taxes the whole year through because it can matter the whole year through. Let's say you're, self, you're early retired. Here's what I would be doing if I'm early retired and I'm just a DIYer. During the year, I would be tracking my interest, my dividends, and any sort of capital gains, right? So I liquidate some assets to help fund my life. I would just say, hey, brokerage, what's the gain or loss on selling that asset? Then I get to October, Q4, it's the end of the year. I start to know really what my income looks like that year. And then I start putting together like a mock tax return. I, I just do a Microsoft Excel or back of the envelope and literally just say, you know, if I were to file my tax return for this year, what do I think it looks like? And start doing some measurements and get more and more precise as I go through the fourth quarter. But the idea is tally up what you think your taxable income is going to be without planning 
And then October, November, December, do some planning, maybe do something like a Roth conversion. There's a tactic out there called tax gain harvesting, where you intentionally trigger a capital gain to reset the basis, right? The amount that you have invested in the asset, according to the IRS, um, those sorts of things. So I think it depends on where you are in life. Self-employed folks, folks with a little more complexity need to be thinking about it all year long. Maybe if you're early retired, you do some tracking during the year. And then in the fourth quarter, you really put pen to paper. Did tax law change at all in 2021? And if so, what types of things should we be thinking about? Yeah. So there was one, well, actually I'd say there were two big changes that might affect the audience. Uh, one is if you your income could go down this year and you didn't get a stimulus payment back in, in the early part of the year, they passed a third stimulus. This gets a little complicated, but they passed a third stimulus and prepayments were paid by the IRS based on um, your 2020 income, generally speaking. So, you know, you might have an opportunity to reduce your adjusted gross income, self-employed retirement contributions, such as a solo 401k could do this. If you didn't get that stimulus payment because your income was too high, you might have an opportunity to create some deductions this year to qualify for that stimulus payment or an additional uh, child tax credit. The general cutoffs here are 75000 of modified adjusted gross income uh, for singles, 150000 of modified adjusted gross income for marrieds. Um, so that was one change that's only 2021 you might want to think about. The second change for this year is for those on an ACA health plan. So this tends to be self-employed or early retirees. There's something called the premium tax credit that subsidizes that insurance. For 2021 and 2022, that premium tax credit no longer has a cliff. So it used to be if your income was 400% of the federal poverty level, you lost the entire premium subsidy. That could have been thousands of dollars of lost subsidy because you got a dollar over that 400% to federal poverty level. So that's, that's a consideration this year. You can actually have more income than 400% of the federal poverty level. To my mind, those are the two big tax changes that occurred this year. They're sort of niche changes. They don't affect everybody, but for those affected, it could mean something. And actually, they're generally beneficial. Um, and then there are some proposed tax law changes. Fortunately, those go into effect for the most part next year. And they're only proposed and it's very speculative if any of the proposals will actually get enacted. I was about to say, you know, this year we had really a change of the guard, right? A Democrat as president, as well as Democrat controlling both houses. How much do politics play a role in the next four years, let's say? Do you see that there's going to be a lot of changes to our tax system just because we've moved at least for the moment from a more Republican administration to a more Democratic one? Doc G, all free predictions are fully refundable. Um, <laughs> my initial prediction is that most likely there will not be a significant tax bill passed in this Congress. Um, I think December 31st is a big date because historically, this isn't always true, but generally speaking, when tax laws change, they change in the year before the election. This is actually what happened four years ago in 2017. There was a big tax law change and it passed in late December in 2017, not in 2018. So if I'm out there and I'm thinking about tax law changes, the first marker I'm looking at is December 31st. 
it's much less likely they're going to pass a tax law change in an election year that could potentially offend a constituency in an election year. Um, that said, just monitor it. There's very limited control anyone in this audience has over tax law changes. So it's nothing to worry about. And every now and then it creates opportunities. Absolutely. I, I don't think we're going to have big tax law changes in the, in the next couple of years. But you're right. Big political swings absolutely can affect the tax law landscape. And we just don't know where those swings are going, do we? We really don't. I wish we did, but we don't. But it, the more minor swings tend to leave stasis, sort of a, you know, this is sort of what the rules are going to be for the next few years, and they're going to do some tweaks on the edges. And I think that's what's going to happen in this Congress if anything happens in this Congress. It brings up an important point. There are a lot of DIY DIYers out there, a lot of people who want to take some responsibility themselves. What do you think is the best way for non-accountants to keep up to date with what's happening with tax law and, and tax planning? That is a really good question, Doc G. And I'm not an unbiased source in that regard because I myself have a tax blog, phytaxguy.com, the intersection of financial independence and tax. So of course, I recommend my blog. Uh, my blog is definitely a, a source out there. There are other commentators out there in the FI space and otherwise who comment around tax planning issues. So I think you could look to some of those commentators and just understand any tax commentator is just presenting his or her view on things, right? There's no silver bullet out there. There's no, this is the truth on tax planning and that's it. Uh, so I think listening to a variety of voices and you know you have bloggers out there who are blogging around tax developments. There are uh, uh, people on Twitter. There are people on podcasts. So I think there are resources out there. There are books. You know, I myself am publishing a book on the Solo 401k next year. There are different resources out there. I'll give you two examples. There's a gentleman named the White Coat Investor who does post about tax from time to time. It's certainly not his only domain. And some of his stuff, I, I mean, all of his stuff is very thoughtful and his tax stuff is definitely worth considering. There's also a gentleman, his Twitter handle is CPA Planner. His name is Jeff Levine. He's mostly focused on other advisors. So just remember that, meaning a lot of his audience is other professional advisors. And so his content tends to be a level higher than maybe content that's focused around actual end users. But his stuff is great too. So those are two sources that I would look to if I were a DIY person in addition to my own content. But you know, one of the nice things about the FI community is you never know who the next content creators are, right? Uh, there are great voices out there coming from all sides of the spectrum. And just be on the lookout for, hey, there are going to be new creators out there, and they are going to have some great things to say about the tax planning conversation. Well, Sean, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show. I just felt at this time of year when everyone is zigging and talking about what to do at the end of the year, I wanted to broaden the conversation and talk about tax planning in general. I think those five questions that we should be asking ourselves while building a financial plan or on our way to financial independence are very important. I want to end the show the way I end every show by asking you what is up next in your life. And specifically, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they? Thank you, Doc G. Always great chatting with you. Uh, what up, what's up next in my life is I'll be working with my financial planning clients and I'll be working on my solo 401k book, which comes out next year. And if folks want to reach out to me, uh, I'm on Twitter, Sean Money and Tax. 
And you can find me at my financial planning firm. Uh, the website is mulaneyfinancial.com. And you can also find me at my blog, fitaxguy.com. This has been the Earn and Invest Podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Sean Mullaney, the Fi Tax Guy. That's a wrap. Excellent. Sweet. Thanks, Thank man. You, I appreciate this. I hope it didn't throw you off your game to move away from the end of end of year tax considerations. No, I love I love the audible. I love the approach too. I think that was yeah. fantastic. I just want to um, add something different since I know uh, you're a, yep. you're a popular guy and you're one of the best to talk at this time of year. And so I still wanted to interview you, but when I started thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, let's let's go in a different direction just so that we add something more to to what's out there. No, it's all good. It's all good. And I, I'm sorry I didn't let you talk more. Um, you know. Oh, no, the, the point is to have you talk. <laughs> the point, no one wants to know what I think tax optimization is. So don't, <laughs> so don't worry about that. Yeah. All right. No, it's, uh, that's great. That's great. Um, and sorry we didn't get to hang out more at Economy. Yeah, um, it was, so, it's overwhelming because there are just so many people and so much yeah. going on. Like, yeah, they're like 10 or 15 people. I'm like, I wish I just had a lot more time to spend with them. But you spoke at the first one on the main I did. stage. I yeah, did. I'll have to go back and look. I mean, because I've seen you deliver the talk you delivered 2019 at Camp Fi was really good. Um, it was like the three. So that's yeah. the one I did for economy. I was doing that as a prep. Yeah. So that is you saw the prep for it and that was i gave it on the big stage for economy and right and i believe after that. that is on youtube because that's a it really is. good one so yeah, yeah. that's that's really cool yeah no it was fun you, you have your book coming out i mean it's like pretty far I, along right? i do so the book i just handed it in the my final edit and it's gotten some gentle editing from the editor and my agent so now it's going to go to the kind of deep editing from the from the publisher nice and once that comes along, uh, I'll get a PDF and then I'll start sending it out for blurbs. But we're looking at August of 2022. In fact, hold on. I'm going to share my screen. I'll show you the we're working on right now the uh, the cover. And I think this is going to be it. I don't know if you can see that there. Can you wow. see it on the screen? Wow, that nice looking cover. Yeah, we were, it was all white before and we just decided to go with the gray. So, you know, it's been a back and forth, even on the cover, but I'm pretty happy with this version of it. I like it. I actually, I, I think, yeah, I mean, you know, boy, like at least tax has some objectivity, right? It has judgment. <laughs> this is like, so I mean, I can't be like, oh, you know, Jordan, you know, you violated this rule. And so that <laughs> cover stinks. Yeah. I yeah, mean, what, yeah. What am I, what am I going to tell you? But actually I, I do like it. It's got like, yeah, no, I, I think yeah. that gray is great. I, I got a bunch of feedback. Some people told me, so what this is supposed to be, if you didn't, some people didn't totally get what the picture is, but so we're talking about kind of a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence, building wealth and living a graphic life. So this is like a sun setting, but it's also a coin with a money sign on it. And people were yep. like, and then the the birds are kind of like end of life type thing, but people are like okay. that looks like Bitcoin, you know. Which maybe you sign. want it. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you want like to back into that. I don't the other know. thing is, some people were like, "That looks like melting in debt." It's like, no, it's not melting, and that's why we changed it actually to this grayish blue because we wanted to have an effect of water. 
right? Yep. So it's supposed to be the sun setting on water, et cetera. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with we've been messing with the fonts and the colors, but uh oh that's funny. But yeah, yeah right. so but I think that that is I think that's gonna be the final. Um but I'm thinking a lot, which you'll be too, is is really about marketing. So now that I've yep. gotten kind of everything written, I'm sure there's gonna be a bunch of edits to do, but mostly I think we've got at least a, a reasonable manuscript. Now it's like, well, how the hell am I going to get this thing out there? Um, and that's what I've been thinking a lot about. Blurbs, podcast appearances, conferences. The yeah. Whole thing, right? yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, so I'm starting to do, so I, I, right now in my brain, I probably will not do a book tour because I just think it's too hard and I don't have enough marketing for that. But so I'm looking at big podcasts or any podcast, but certainly yeah. the big ones. Right. So that's going to be a piece of it. Then the blogs, like which bloggers, like for instance, Physician on Fire Leaf is a good friend of mine. So he'll probably review it for his and nice. Dale Collins is a good friend of mine. So he'll probably review it yep. for his. And then just social posts, like, can I convince Pete to, you know, put something out on Twitter, et cetera. And so there's a whole group of social people I know, you yep. know, like Tiffany Aliche, people like that. Um, and then there's media. So as you know, I've done a little financial media. I've been on Market Watch. I just taped something with Grant Sabatier for Motley Fool, which we'll have some good video hopefully from. Um, I've done a lot of physician media, especially in the distant past, right? Because um, as a physician, I've commented on stuff. So I've started doing, you know what Harrow is? Help a reporter out. Yes. So yeah. I started doing Harrow queries. I don't do the financial ones as much as I do the physician ones because there's a lot of physician ones, end of life, that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm trying to just build a group of, and I went back and looked through my email and at pretty much every journalist I've ever interacted yes. with, I started pulling their names. And so yeah, it, it, it's a, your book army, right? You just compile. Uh, like, and so that's, so I'm like eight, nine, I mean, I'm 10 months out, but it's like, I just feel like I got to start getting it. Cause I think my platform is just not big enough to like kill it. So, yeah. but I have, but I have tons of friends whose platforms are big enough to kill it. Well, so, the other the thing you do have too is this hospice doctor angle, right? Think right. It's a totally are, different yeah. look at this. How many people like are dealing with, you know, how many people who are essentially your readers are dealing with their parents at end right. of life? Yeah. So this is like that can trigger something in their brain. It, it can. And it's interesting because the book is not so the book in the book we talk, I tell a lot of stories about end of life, but the whole point of the book is. Look what, if we took what people are forced to do at end of life, right? Because when you get to end of life, you're kind of forced to evaluate your life. You're kind of forced to decide what's important, what isn't important. And you're forced to make whatever little changes you can to reach some conclusion of feeling good about how you live yep. in that few weeks, months, whatever you have left. And kind of part of the theory is, what if we could take all that magic and start applying it to our life now? And then say, okay, well, how am I going to, so I'm here and I don't have enough money and I want to have enough money. How can I go out and create enough money, but do it in a way that really takes into account yeah. the things dying people find important, like purpose and identity and connections to the world. And, and, you know, like all these kind of. so the idea is, is how to bring all of that knowledge to me today. And what role does money play in my life? Cause we all know money is really important as a tool. Sometimes we make it a goal. And so the whole point of this book is to really use it as the tool it is yeah. by learning from people who've kind of gone through the worst. Yeah. You know, do you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm by any chance? At, at times years ago, I haven't watched well, it recently. So in the first episode of the new season, Albert Brooks, like, you know, the yeah. famous comedian guy, yeah. 
he does a pre-funeral. So he has a funeral that for himself. Yeah. So that he gets to hear all these messages and he watches it and, you know, hilarity ensues. I won't give it away, but you know, like that's basically like, Oh, wait a minute. If I were to think about the end of my life, there you go. Right. Like, Today, bam. yeah. Yeah. And what, no, what, I, what will I regret? What, what didn't I do? What should I have done? And it, it's important because I really think we're at this crux and, and Fi is facing this right now. It's like, we're facing an identity crisis of the kind of front load to sacrifice, grinded out Mr. Money Mustaches versus yep. the slow fi, coast fi, you know, Jessica from the Fioneers and, you know, all these people who are like, no, 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 wait, I, I want to enjoy life now. And so it's kind of like the YOLO versus deferred, you know, gratification. Yeah. And so this, we're really at this big crux. And I think people don't know how to manage that. And this book actually is really a framework for how do you kind of take all that into account? Like some of us are really worried that we're going to die tomorrow. And for those people, grinding it out in a job doesn't make sense. Like you can still have a good financial plan, but then really enjoy the present and spend money on experiences and maybe push yeah. a little more money around than you'd want. Well, and the other thing too is... Um, you know, there are folks who present on investments and I just think that's, you know, actually Kitsis was on a podcast. Was he on, he was on with Scott and Mindy. I and like Kitsis and I've never been able to actually get him. Like I always email him, text him, whatever, never get any response. Like I don't yeah, have, cause I, mean, I don't, he doesn't know me and I don't know him. So yeah, but he made a really good point around, you know, with the 4% rule, you do adjust meaning, you know, like, Karsten presented at Camp Fi and, and it's hard to adjust. Yeah. You know, and he's it's like, no, life is dynamic. And, you know, because I think what what's going to happen a little bit in the Fi world is people will get to their, you know, their 25 times or whatever, and they're going to retire and it's going to be like, oh, crap, I got miserable. way more money than I had than I thought yeah. I was going to have. And what yeah. am I going to do with that? And like. You know, and if if things go bad, you know, first of all, we've now lived through one of them. Yeah. Everybody was down thirty percent, and the five community was just like, okay, do 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 do. Yeah, yeah thirty thousand dollars more on no, the five on the pile. Nothing and, to see know. here. Which was actually, yeah. it is somewhat true proof of concept. Like yeah. the five people were like, oh yeah, things are down, but I'm still a hell of a lot better off than most people. So I'm just well, going to kind of keep adding money. Well, and that's the other thing too. It's like, uh. you know, people get worried, and it's like. The one thing that to that, you know, 9-11, 2018, pandemic, whatever it is, all the people with assets always come out better. Better. Always. So then like, why yeah. then maybe you should align yourself with the people who have assets because they tend to take care of their own, you know, like, yeah. you know, so yeah, I just, I, you know, I think there's something to investing. I'm not here to say there isn't, but boy, I don't lose a lot of sleep when I work with my clients over investments. I just don't. Yeah. I, you know, you people need guardrails, people need advice, yeah. but I always tell them, like, look, you know, there's no silver bullet here, and just do do the right behaviors and tactics, and the outcomes are most likely going to be better. That's all yeah. we can do, you know. Yeah. And, and no, I think Jordan, that's an awesome. I'm, I look forward to uh, to reading it. Um, yeah, I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm. Excited, nervous, petrified, right? What if you put it out there and no one likes it? Um, Because this is not like, this is very much not like, in some ways, and I hate to put it this way, but I envy, in a sense, what you're doing, right? Because you are an expert in this field and you kind of, there are set things you know about what you're going to write about. Mine yeah. is much, much more kind of gray. 
like what yeah. I'm writing about. So there are some parts like I do for a short period of time, talk about the 4% rule. I do for a short period of time, talk about investment advisors. So there are some real sprinklings of, of kind of that basic personal finance stuff, but the grand majority of it is much more touchy feely. Like, you know, what's most important to you? Why are you, why do you do what you do? And some of it will sound very familiar to you because you've heard some of my talks. So you've heard me yep. talk about the parable of the three brothers. So I do a chapter on the parable of three brothers trying to figure out kind of which path is right for you when it comes to financial independence. So some of it will sound like hardcore finance, but a lot of it is much more kind of gray area. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.